You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. Would you please turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 53. Luke 12, verses 49 through 53. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need it. So go ahead and and just kind of sneak up and go grab one in the back on one of these uh, stools, because we're going to just be walking through the Bible, or you could pull out your phone and download a Bible app real quick. We're in ESV version, um, and uh, prevent yourself from being tempted to go beyond downloading that app, okay? It's risky business to tell you to pull out your phone and download something in the middle of church, but but you're going to need the Word. I need you to see the Word, because the Word is what produces power right? It's what causes growth in us without you looking at the words. Isn't that amazing? God wrote a book, and by a book, he makes people holy. And so you need that word. You need to see those words on those pages and come to a knowledge of those words to be changed by those words. And therefore, you need to see those uh, right now as we look at them. Before we read our text that the Lord has given us for today, And as we continue verse by verse through the book of Luke, let's recite for the last time this month's memory verse, okay? And you should be able to say this one easy, easy peasy, okay? So let's say it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's say it again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Good job. We've talked pretty extensively about these powerful few words, or this powerful verse in the last few weeks. And I hope that God has really used it in your life. I hope that God has really, really made this work deep into your heart over the past month as you've memorized and meditated upon these words significantly. You might say, Well, what is the difference between us having a memory verse and what we're reading every day, et cetera? There's something about having the same thing over and over for a prolonged period of time that you're thinking about. You will begin to see things that you didn't see the first time. You begin to understand things that you didn't understand the first time, right? So you need need something to be meditating on, chewing on for a prolonged period of time, and you need to be something that you have something that you're reading regularly where everything is new every, every day. Um, where God is able to speak to you from his word in the next passage that you read, while at the same time you're meditating upon something from the word that's, that's becoming more and more uh, clear as you, as you read it and as you understand it. So that's why we do kind of this memory verse as well as the verse by verse through the, the text. So what's happening in this verse, you guys remember, I'm not going to take a long time on it. In light of the gospel... In light of the plan of salvation, in light of the beginning of that, in Christ's birth, the angels in heaven are saying two things. One, glory to God. Wow. Like we just saw, what a savior. What a God who sends his own son to die on behalf of sinners. This thing's moving. What an amazing plan of redemption God has just initiated. This brings glory to God, the gospel does. And secondly, peace to man. The gospel brings glory to God and peace to man. Peace to the man who is at peace with God. What an incredible gospel. Peace to the man who has become pleasing to God through the gospel. Through the gospel, man becomes pleasing to God. Apart from the gospel, you are not pleasing to God. You're not cool enough. You're not awesome enough. You're not perfect enough. You're not good looking enough, right? 
You're not strong enough. You're not anything special in comparison to every other human being on the face of the planet before God, except that he has made you unique, but your sin has separated you from God. You are not pleasing to God apart from Christ's work, atoning work, right? He's, of course, made everyone unique, and he loves you like children, but he loves you all the same. Sometimes I love one of my kids. Just kidding. I don't. I love them all the same. But listen, he loves, he loves his children, but not all are children of God. You become pleasing to God. You enter into his family through the gospel. Apart from that, you, the Bible says you're at enmity with God. You're outside of his family, right? And so you become pleasing to God through Christ's atoning sacrifice. So you, that, is, that is what makes you right in God's sight. That's the only thing you bake your hope on, people. If you don't hear anything else, when, God, when you see God face to face and he says, what have you done that I should let you into my kingdom? It's not because you got a great Facebook following. That will not be the merit that he will let you in. That is insignificant in the kingdom. Insignificant. You got only one life that's going to last and only what's done for Christ will last, Right? One thing, you got one life, and only what's done in Christ will last. And you being in Christ, that's the only thing will last. Everything else will be burned up by fire, and only the purest of the pure will rise to the top, which is pure faith in Christ, right? And so this is what God has brought to sinners in the gospel. Through the gospel, man becomes pleasing to God. This happens through forgiveness of sin. Therefore, man is an eternal peace, eternal peace, eternal peace here on earth and in heaven forever. So for you, let us, like the angels, rejoice in this work of salvation. You rejoice? When David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's like, man, I was joyful about this salvation and now it's just diminished, right? Because I'm distracted by the world. The angels aren't, they're not, they're not diminished in their rejoicing of this gospel. They're happy about it. So let you, like the angels, rejoice in this salvation. That could be a good goal during Easter. God, give me a, a fervent spirit. I was just reading the other day in, in chapter 62, I think it is, of, of the Psalms in our, Bible, in our Bible reading. You guys better catch up. We got three more days to the end of the month, okay? So finish this thing. But man, when he talked about he's panting for God, like one who's in a desert without any water, is that your life? That's normal for a Christian. Is that your life? You got to become like that. Beg God, God, let me pant for you like I'm in a desert and I need a drink, right? That's what the angels, that's how excited they are about this gospel. And that's how excited you should be. So he you should, you should rejoice in this. And then, like the angels declare, let us declare to our neighbors and to the nations, what a great God, that's what glory means, what a great God who sovereignly sends his son to save sinners. That's why he gets glory. And what a great gospel producing peace-filled people pleasing to God. That's what they're rejoicing over. So, what an awesome verse, right? What an awesome verse. Let's meditate on that for the last few days of this month. Now, as we make a hard turn, let's look at our verse. Now, interestingly, and providentially, and even paradoxically, as we now turn to the passage that the Lord has given us for today, we will come to understand that this divine peace that we just talked about, peace to man, it won't be the experience of everyone. You say, well, you just geared us up and then let us way down here, right? And that's what Jesus is doing here. This is, this is if, if you're wondering, um, if you're wondering the tone of, of Christ in some of these passages, you don't have to wonder very hard because the words make clear his, his tone here. He, he's been speaking of some hard things in the past little while and, and he's gonna continue doing so today, okay? And, uh, and so what Jesus is about to show us is that he offers his peace 
But listen, man must decide. Man must decide. And Christ must divide. Man has a decision. And Christ, his message, his truth, his gospel, his judgment will bring about division. Okay? So let's read now. We're going to see this more fully from the passage itself. It's where this information is being derived. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I come to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Notice the exclamation point. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Notice the exclamation point. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against the, her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. It's a hard text. <clears throat> now what we're seeing here is Jesus training his disciples to understand that Jesus has come to make a clear division. He's training his disciples to understand he's come to make division. That's why I've entitled the message, Christ has come to divide. It's the main point. That's the particular doctrine being made known here. Jesus has come to divide. The thesis statement or the main point of this particular verse or this particular section can be found in verse 51, it can be clearly seen in verse 51. That's where you can find a main point, a thesis statement. I'll put it up on the screen, but it's in your passage. It says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. That's the main point of the section. You can't always see this main point clearly in a sentence, but here we can, Okay. So what Christ is making clear, listen, is his coming is to make a clear division. Division in which way? Between those who truly receive him, truly hold to his truth and his word, his gospel, and those who reject, those who receive, those who reject. Him, his truth, his message, his kingdom, his gospel. Christ's first coming when he came to earth, what we just talked about, his birth, it was to proclaim the gospel, the kingdom. And when he came, he showed monumental evidence about his true identity. Like the whole first book, uh, the first half of the book of Luke, 10 chapters. If you were here during those first 10 chapters, you said, okay, he's showing himself to be the Christ again. Okay, he's showing himself to be the Christ again. Okay, he's showing himself to be the Christ again. That's all he did, the first 10 chapters. He was showing, he's coming to proclaim his gospel, show monumental evidence that he is the Christ. And what that would do while he was here on earth would bring division. Division of those who believe in him and his gospel and those who don't. And then, as we've been talking about in the passage, passages, his return, his second coming will do the same thing. It will bring about a clear division through final judgment. He will make eternal division 
eternal division between those who have received him and those who have rejected him. So you see, listen, Christ has not come to leave things the way that they are. That's what he's showing us here. He has not come to leave things the way that they are. He has not come to allow people to be comfortable in their illusion of spirituality, to leave people as they are, not to leave them in their unbelief under the surface, but instead to expose it. He's come to expose belief or unbelief in the gospel. He's forcing everything to the top. He's forcing everything to the surface and exposing what's there. Belief, reception, or unbelief, rejection. What he's saying here is he's not come to affirm everybody who claims to be right with God. That's what he's saying. It's not what he's come, why he's come. And yet it's not according to knowledge, right? We, we see in the scriptures, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Doesn't match up with what the scriptures say. He's come to expose this unbelief. He comes to force a decision, to bring the kingdom, the message, the call, the truth, the gospel, so that people will have to decide. He's going to force a decision and therefore bring about a division. That's how he does this, so that people have to decide to believe his message or to ignore his message, but they will not be able to do any, any other thing. There's only two options, receive or reject. When you hear the truth, you got two options, receive it and believe it or reject it. There is no third option. There's no neutral. Neutral is rejection, Right? So he will not withhold any of his truth. That's what he's coming to do. He's bringing division. He's, he's not withholding any of his truth or disregarding any of it, but he's going to present it. And therefore, people have to decide. Which, by the way, it makes no sense, nor is it profitable for anyone when any type of spiritual leader withholds any truth to make it more digestible for the people. Makes zero sense. Because the goal is to get the people to conform their entire lives to the truth. So why would you withhold the very truth that they're supposed to be called to give their whole lives to? Right? And maybe, in, and say I'm saving some for later. It, that doesn't make any sense. You, you give it. The real reason why usually that happens is that the, out of a fear of man. I'm scared that they will reject it and we won't have as many people. But Christ was not scared of that. Christ's purpose was to present the full truth so that people had to respond to it and either receive it or reject it. To withhold the very truth that he's calling them to understand would make no sense. And it's usually done out of pragmatism for lowercase c church growth, but it doesn't produce any capital C church growth. True believers who have to hear the message, hear the words and respond in repentance and faith and give their whole lives to it because Christ is calling them to understand the words and to make a decision. It comes by proclaiming the very truth that will give them knowledge of God, of what God requires. You don't make it easy believism so people can come in easy because then they can leave Christ very easily. You make it true. What the word just says, you just present that. You're not God, he is. And if you say, well, God, I would have wrote it this way or I would have said a little bit less here so that people would receive it, then all of a sudden you become God, Right? And so we present the full truth and just lay it before people and it's God who has to will and work in people's hearts to produce repentance and faith. We just present it. We don't, we don't take anything away or put anything in. We just present it fully so that people have to decide. Now, Christ is, is God. He's presenting this truth fully and people will have to decide 
right? So Jesus will give them the unfiltered truth about his identity, about his gospel, about his return, what we would call, listen, the whole counsel of God, which may be rejected. That is true. It might be rejected. But it will accomplish the true goal, forcing people to decide, believe and surrender to his truth, though it might be hard or reject it. And it will make clear who are his and who are not. That's the most right thing and loving thing that Jesus can do. Um, Oftentimes, and this is a good picture of what the church is supposed to be, by the way. Listen, because the church is for the believer. It's for the saints, right? The church, in its definition, are believers. That's who the church is, right? The saints. So we share the truth and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Some might be fearful, say, I don't know if I want to bring my lost neighbor because it doesn't seem to be tailored toward the unbeliever. But listen, be careful there because what you want your lost neighbor to hear is the truth. There is no truth apart from this truth. So it's for the believer and the unbeliever. But you want to know what's great? Is that it makes the unbeliever, if it's said, if it's said clearly and truly, say, this is foreign to me. This is weird. This is coming from another world. This seems too hard to stomach. This is not true about my life, right? And then what do they have to say? I either have to decide to receive it or reject it. But the worst thing that you can do is make them feel like they're in when they're not in Christ. Then they will be ignorantly destined to hell. We're talking to our, our interns, or not interns, we don't have interns anymore. We got these genuine bona fide staff members. All right? Adam, who, who uh, if I may call you out, Adam, I did in the first service, I didn't even ask him, but join PAC to, to, to get fit, right? And I said to him, when we were talking about the subject, I said, Adam, what if PAC treated you like you were already a member of PAC? You know what you would have no need to do? Become a member of PAC. And what if the truth is preached in such a way that you think that you are already a Christian when you're not one? You know what you'll have no need to do? Become a Christian. Jesus is not here to withhold any of this truth. He's presenting it fully in order to force people to decide and that will bring about a division. Paul says it like this. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. Why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to it. This is to the, the, the shepherds, the, religion, the, the, the pastors, the church leaders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. That's my job. Oversee, shepherd the flock, declare the whole counsel of God who the Holy Spirit has made me overseers for those who call this their church home, which he has obtained by his blood, the true believers in his church, right? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after him. This whole counsel of God forces people to decide. It's how we shepherd the flock. It protects us from twisted and wrong beliefs that don't align with scripture. This is what Jesus is doing. He's got to proclaim the whole truth. So this is what Jesus came to do. Listen, he came, he's saying here, he's, he's coming to polarize like a magnet, right? Two magnets on each side, making clear the gospel. Jesus makes a decision necessary. He's coming to bring the kingdom to people in such a way that now having knowledge of the truth, a decision is necessary, either a decision to receive the truth or a decision to reject the truth. Once hearing the truth, you have, you fall into one or two categories. You can't remain neutral. As I said, neutral is rejection. So he's coming to make clear division. And he will come once again in his return 
to make clear division, judgment, divide for all of eternity. So Jesus is making this clear. And listen, let me tell you, Jesus has come to divide and he's not um, relaxed about it. As we're gonna see from this passage. He's, he's urgent to do it. How do I know? Well, because we're gonna see it from the text. But what's the heart of that? He is so urgent to eradicate sin. To, to, to eradicate unbelief and evil and falsehood. To do away with it. New heavens, new earth, no sin anymore. No shame, no tears, no crying anymore, no pain. He can't wait to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. To destroy sin, the, the, the desires of the flesh, the works of the flesh, the works of the devil. De- Jesus has desires and urgency to do that. First, here in our passage, he's got to be rejected, die for sin, experience suffering, be fully immersed in the cross, in his predestined suffering, as the scriptures say. What happened was what was predestined to take place, that he would go to the cross in order to eliminate evil and cause his righteous to him, call his righteous to himself. He's got to do that first. But he's not come to leave anything the same or to affirm everyone's standing in their ignorance or sin or unbelief. Instead, he's come to expose it, force a decision, cause eternal division. And he's going to show us that this will not only cause division in judgment, this is going to cause division in relationships here on earth. One's belief about Christ and his truth must take precedence over every relationship. There is nothing off limits to being divided because there is nothing more important than one's stance upon the truth. So in light of God's truth, in light of Christ's gospel, division will come even among people on earth. Now, I know we're introducing this for a little while, but let me say one more thing before we just look at it. It's, it's simple. We only got a f- few of these verses, but this is a perfect text for Palm Sunday. By God's sovereignty, this is what he gives us on Palm Sunday. And this is perfect. You might say, well, this, this is, doesn't seem perfect for Palm Sunday. Where's the, let's throw down the palm branches and, and yell out, right? And this is a joyous occasion. It's not actually maybe as joyous as you might think. Because let me tell you a little bit of the story. As Christ entered Jerusalem on a donkey, he was doing so to fulfill the scriptures, but he was also doing so to display, ready? Here's the main point of Palm Sunday. Christ was coming to display. He is Israel's true king and thereby the world's true king. This is what Christ, why did Christ come riding in on the donkey? To show he's the true king. How does that do that? Well, and let me tell you, it's perfect because it's brought about division, which is what the text we find. And God does this all the time. I remember the first sermon that we preached during COVID online, which is how God is the ruler over uh, disease and death. Right? We just landed there on the first Sunday online during, during COVID. Right? He just, in his sovereignty, as we preach through books of the Bible, he's so sovereign and providential. Palm Sunday, he's showing us this text. And, and it's perfect because even though it's not a, a joyful thing always to talk about, it, on, on Palm Sunday, it brought about division between those who hailed him as the king, because that was the main point, and those who didn't like the religious leaders who were on the outskirts. They denied his kingship. Now listen, stay with me. Years earlier, in 1 Kings chapter 1, Solomon, with his son David, with his father David, right? Solomon, son of David, his father, they rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Solomon rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. 1 Kings chapter 1, with his father David. Why? Well, David's other son, Adonijah, during that time, was attempting to make himself king. He wasn't given the kingship by David. No one affirmed his kingship. He just was trying to make himself king, Adonijah was. And all of his posse was saying, yeah, you're the king, Adonijah, right? 
So David brings about this, these people around him, these godly counselors, and he's, they're saying, what do we do here? David, David's son's trying to kill him. David, Adonijah's trying to take the throne. He's not really the king. He's trying to make himself king. David's already said Solomon is gonna be king. What do we do? Adonijah's a fake king. He's not the true king. He commended himself. He confirmed himself in the company of evil people. So to discredit Adonijah's kingship, what David does is he leads Solomon into Jerusalem on a donkey while everybody on the outskirts, the evil ones, are celebrating Adonijah's kingship. And by riding him in on a donkey, the cheers of Solomon's entrance dissolve Adonijah's celebration of his kingship. People start to say, oh, everyone's cheering about Solomon's kingship. What are we doing out here? Right? And David was making this clear. Solomon is the true son of David. He is the true king. Those on the outskirts trying to oppose it are fake. They're phonies. And so as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he is declaring himself to be the true son of David, Israel's true king. Solomon was an imperfect picture, an imperfect king, but this is a reflection of that ceremony. And Jesus, as he enters in as the eternal king, as the perfect son of David, just like Solomon's entrance discredited Adonijah's uh, kingship, Jesus is declaring to all of those who oppose him, like the Pharisees and the false teachers, they're fakes, they're phonies, they're not telling the truth. I'm the true king. They've just affirmed themselves, right? So this is a declaration on Palm Sunday of Jesus as the true king. And you know what it brought? Division. Division. As one group would praise him as king and as the other group would crucify him or as the same group would praise him as king and then just five days later would crucify him. Some scholars say that this Picture of Palm Sunday shows the fickle-mindedness of the crowd. Some say the same crowd on Palm Sunday was, who is shouting Hosanna is the same crowd that five days later was shouting crucify him. And it's a picture of don't turn away. It's going to be shown who the true believers in this king are. Others, they say Palm Sunday should not be celebratory. It should be sorrowful, just like Good Friday. Others claim that those people who hailed him as king as he entered in Jerusalem were a different crowd entirely from the ones who crucified him. But that, it's, it can't be entirely. There's definitely overlap. So, there, so there's warrant for both. Both are happening. But in either case, one thing remains true. Listen, Jesus brought division between those who would receive him as king and those who would reject him. So Jesus and his message will bring division. Here's a question to you, ready? Listen, 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 because this is coming right out of what Jesus just said. Make yourself ready, I'm coming. Make yourself ready, I'm coming. And then he proceeded to tell us about two servants. There's a division. A faithful servant who believes his master's words and gets himself ready and the unfaithful servant who doesn't believe his master's words and doesn't get himself ready. Jesus is showing this parable and then he's saying, I've come to bring division, to show the faithful servant the unfaithful servant, right? So the question here again is to you as he brings about this division as the one you have to decide, will I make myself ready in salvation and sanctification, be ready for my master's return or will I not and be the unfaithful servant who pursues his own pleasures. This is the question, but he wants his disciples to know this is on purpose. I've come to bring this division. So the question to you is, will you get ready? Will you embrace the truth or will you reject it? Christ divides. The gospel divides. His judgment when he comes back will divide. There is certainty of division and there will be division here on earth. So now let's move into the division of this matter in the text. To make the point clear from the text, I've divided the passage under two headings. You're going to see two points, as we call them often. Number one, 
Christ brings division in judgment. And number two, Christ brings division on earth. Very simple. Number one, these are the two points we're going to see. Christ brings division in judgment. And number two, Christ brings division on earth. So to make these points clear, let's take them one at a time. Number one, Christ brings division in judgment. Verses 49 through 50. Here's what he says. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. All right. Now, to be understood rightly, let me explain some things to you, okay? To be understood rightly, I need to make mention that from chapter 12, verse 49, where we currently are, where our passage starts for today, through chapter 13, verse 9, which is the end of this sermon that we've been talking about that started all the way back in chapter 12, verse 1, right? Right? A long sermon, chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 13, verse 9, where we are right now, 49 through the end in chapter 13, verse 9. This can be taken as one long thought. So where we're starting right now, and really we have to keep in mind everything before it, but especially where we're starting right now to the end is especially one main thought, which you would expect from a, a, a message, that a sermon, that it's, everything is connected, right? So let me summarize this to bring, to bring to the surface a clear understanding of what Jesus is saying here, okay? It's technical, it's gotta be understood in order for us to understand this rightly. Not really technical, but I don't know. Let's just read it. Let's just understand it. Ready? Jesus is giving warning in the last passage. Be ready for his return. To be ready. This includes the ideas of salvation and sanctification. And based upon this message, here's where we get into today's text. It will bring about division between the faithful and the unfaithful, the believing and the unbelieving. And in his second coming, which he's also talking about here, in his judgment, he will bring about permanent division. Okay? Now, this is where we move into the next section, which is titled Interpreting the Time. The Jews who claimed to be waiting for the Messiah have failed to see that the Messiah is right in front of them. And so he's making clear who the true believers are and who are not because they all thought that they were in right standing with God. Make sense? They all thought they were in right standing with God, but what he is showing here is you say that you're waiting for the Messiah, it's kind of unclear. It's kind of like you say that you're all Christians, but I've come to make clear division because it's so unclear. Right? Because what you're failing to see is that the Messiah is actually right in front of you. The truth is right in front of you and you're actually rejecting it even if it's by remaining neutral. So they have failed to see that the Messiah is right in front of them. Now we move into that next section which is settle with your accuser. Therefore, these Jews, what they must do is settle with their accuser who is who? Who? God, he's the judge. They better settle with him, be ready, be the faithful servant, recognize who the Messiah is, and get ready and get right with God before judgment, or therefore, at the end of that section, you will have to pay a, a debt that is unending. You guys tracking with me? I'm going to take your silence as a yes. <laughs> Just kidding. They should not think, next section, stay with me. They should not think that because they are Jews that the world is guilty and they are not. 
He's saying repent or perish. That section particularly says this. It's not everyone else who needs to repent. It's you. It's you. It's you. I'm coming to make this clear because it's become so unclear. The Messiah is right in front of you. Settle with him. Be ready. You, not anybody else, you. And then it moves into the last section before the sermon ends is God's chosen people. There's an owner who has a fig tree. The fig tree is his. God has a people, but they refuse to bear fruit of salvation and belief. And therefore, he's making clear this division. You say because you're the owner's fig tree that, that you're healthy. You're not healthy. You're refusing to bear fruit, even though you're the owner's fig tree, in a sense. You're God's chosen people, but you're not bearing any fruit of salvation. He's making clear this division. They've not made themselves ready. The time is here. They failed to interpret the time. The time to get ready is now. Christ's coming is now. So this is all connected. You can see it. And it all really started, listen, in the beginning of chapter 12. Because in the beginning of chapter 12, it turned, marked a turning point in Christ's ministry. Because by then, the majority of the Jews were hardened against him. They rejected him. So Christ's ministry in the beginning of chapter 12 largely becomes one of warning, of warning, so Jesus is exposing their unbelief, dividing those who believe from those who don't, particularly among the Jews here. So going back to verse 49, let's just take this verse by verse. Verse 49, the rejection by the Jews to get ready. Here's what he says. I come to cast fire or I came or I have come to cast fire on the earth. This is the rejection of the Jews to get ready, refusing to believe and take heed to the warning. It's tragic. And Jesus is saying, I have come to bring about judgment. Literal translation, even though the ESV says I came, it's literally I have come. Now, Jesus spoke often in this way. Jesus has spoken often in this way, telling us, his people, the readers, why he has come. You should be familiar with that type of language. He talks about that. He talks like that very often. Here's why I've come. Here's why I've come. Here's why I've come. Here's why I have come. Let me show you some of the reasons why he's come. Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. John 5, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 19, or John 10, I'm sorry, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 John 3, 8, the reason why the Son of God appeared, here's why he came, was to destroy the works of the devil. John 12, this one's gonna confuse you and I'm gonna explain it. I have come into this, to the world as light, so that whoever, that's why he came, to be light. Whoever believes in me may not remain in light, uh, remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world. Wait a second, Jesus, you just told us that you came to judge but to save the world. But the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. What Jesus is saying in that passage, if you're confused, like well, he's talking, he's telling us he's come to judge, but then he's saying, I haven't come to judge. What, yeah, right now, he's come to bring the truth, present the truth and cause about division that will all one day after earth lead to judgment. That's why he's come. So he's saying the same thing there that he's saying in this passage. He's talking future here. So, and you might say, there's a lot of, I'm thinking about things in my own heart. He says he's coming to bring peace. Is he coming to bring peace or not peace? He's, say, he's saying he doesn't come to bring judgment. Is he coming to bring judgment or no judgment? He says he comes to bring division. I thought he came to bring unity. Well, much depends on how one responds to the truth. Peace 
It's wrong about decision that will bring about division. Peace will come to the one who receives this Messiah and submits to his word. Peace will not come to the, to the other. Judgment will come. Division will come. All based upon how one sees this truth and says, I will refuse to be wise in my own eyes and I'm just gonna come underneath this. That's when peace will come. That's when you'll be on the right side of judgment and there will still be division. So, some of the reasons why Jesus came, we just saw them, but Jesus has not just come to save. Jesus' mission was also one of judgment. Verse 49, look at this. Let me, let's explain that. Verse 49, stay with me, okay? Wake up, punch yourself, do something, okay? We got a little bit to go. Verse 49, Jesus says, I've come to cast fire on the earth. When Jesus uses that language, it's judgment. Fire is often used in the Bible as a portrayal of God's judgment. Jeremiah 4, 4. Circumcise yourself to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your heart, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire, burn with none to quench it because of the, of the evil of your deeds. Right? Remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. The Jews, as we've talked about, listen, did not think that judgment was coming to them. And therefore that they had no need to repent or receive salvation or make themselves ready. And Jesus is saying, I have come to bring judgment, right? Also the picture here, listen, listen, the gospel is like a fire. Not only judgment future, but this gospel will be like fire. You can tell that if you're faithful to it because to some, it refines. To those who have pure faith in Christ, not pure because of your own strength, pure like it's real, it refines it and it makes it more pure. But to those who have no faith, fake faith like the chaff, not based upon the truth, it burns it up. That's what the gospel does, right? It either refines the faith or it burns it up. Like today, you're gonna hear this message and it's gonna make you say, forget Christ, forget the church, forget his word, I'm out of here. The gospel, the truth just burned up what was not already there. Some of you say, it's hard. Christ, who can stand before you? You are holy, God make me more like yourself and you're, you're convicted but you're comforted at the same time because you know the gospel and how it's applied to you and, and you're in Christ and the forgiveness that you have. So it purifies or it burns it up. Now listen, he came to bring this fire. That's the truth of God's judgment. In Isaiah of the Messianic prophecies, he says this, look, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the, and the spirit of the counsel of and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is Jesus it's speaking of and he shall not judge what, with what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with, this is speaking of judgment. The breath of his lips shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Matthew 3.10, this is what Jesus is speaking about here. Even now the ax is laid root laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. This is what Jesus is saying. I've come to divide. The gospel will divide. Judgment will come and there will be this divide. But Jesus says this, look in verse 49, okay? Would that it were already kindled. You know what Jesus is saying? I have urgency to do this division. Listen, urgency to eradicate evil, to deal with unbelief, to get rid of all falsehood, to destroy sin, to get works, to get rid of the works of the devil and the flesh and, and evil. And you should say the same thing. I can't wait 
till it's all burned up. That's what Jesus is saying. You see here, he's speaking of, and we know that he's speaking of future judgment. How do I know that we're, he's speaking of future judgment when he's talking about this permanent division? This is division in judgment. How do we know? Because Jesus says here in verse 50, I'm going to do this. I'm urgent to do it. I can't wait till it happens. I wish the fire was already kindled. But verse 50, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. What is he saying there? Meaning first, I got to be rejected. I got to die. I got to be resurrected. This is not a literal baptism. It's literally this. I have to be, I have an experience of suffering that I have to be fully immersed in. Okay, listen, I have a, I have a baptism to be baptized by, meaning this. I have a, an experience of suffering that I have to be fully immersed in first. Okay? So baptism, the word baptizo, which is it's a transliterated word and where we get the word baptism. It's not even translated. It's transliterated. So we can even be more clear about the original meaning. It means to be immersed. That's why we immerse people when we baptize. We don't sprinkle or do any of that thing, stuff. Why? Because the word literally means to immerse. Jesus came up out of the water. So he's saying, I have a suffering to be fully immersed in. What is that suffering? Yeah, it's God's full judgment for sin upon Christ. He's saying this. This is so clear. He is saying, before we get to this final judgment, before it comes to unbelievers, it must first come to me. I have to experience this judgment of God on behalf of sinners who will respond with belief and to receive this message. I have to, I have to go through this first, this experience of suffering to be fully immersed in. This is what we call the doctrine of penal substitution a penalty substitute, right? That's what Christ is. The book titled Pierced for Our Transgression, here's how he defines this, penal substitution. I put it up on the screen. It's so important. God gave himself in the person of his son to suffer instead of us the death, punishment, and curse due to fallen humanity as the penalty for sin. That's penal substitution. This understanding of the cross of Christ stands at the very heart of the gospel. Listen, this is the essence of Christianity. Jesus was our penalty substitute. Wow. And Jesus says this, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You see that there? How do we know he's talking about the cross? And therefore, how do we know he's talking about future judgment? This must happen first. Listen, listen, this must happen first. He's talking about future judgment. How do we know he's talking about the cross? Here's another clue. The word, sunakamai, means to be gripped by, to be stretched out by, or to be pained. That's why he's gripped, he's distressed. It's like when Paul said he's pressed in on both sides, same word. He wants to be with the Lord, but he wants to be here on earth. This is what Jesus is saying. I want to accomplish the salvation, right? Paul used that in Philippians 1. I wish to go be with God, but it's more necessary for me to stay on earth. I'm pressed on both sides. Same word Jesus is using here when he's saying, I'm stretched to the max about this coming judgment upon me. I don't want to my father to turn away in judgment upon me, but I want to save sinners and I want to eradicate evil and cause permanent division. This is what Jesus is saying. Right? And then he uses this word until it is accomplished. The word accomplished here translates the same, listen, the same form of the verb that Jesus uses when he cries out from the cross it is finished, it is accomplished. How much distress am I in until this is finished? This is what Jesus is saying. It is clear. He's referring to the cross and he is referring to future judgment. So Christ has come to bring future judgment division. First his cross. The question is, listen, he's saying this is why I've come. The question is how 
do you respond to his call to get ready? Will you be the unfaithful or the faithful? There will be division. There will be no third category. It's your decision. You get ready through the gospel and salvation and then through his word and sanctification or you ignore it. All right, we got just a little bit. Let's talk about point two, division on earth. He's come to bring division on earth. Verse 51 through 53, verses 51 through 53, he says this, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother-in-law, against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. If you say, hey, there looks like there's six people there. He said there's five. There's only five. The, the mother of the son is the mother-in-law of the daughter-in-law, okay? You might not have wondered that. <laughs> but if you're looking at the text closely, you will wonder that, all right? Like, he said five. There's six there. No, okay? Only five. Here's what he's saying. Jesus here is showing that how one responds to his message will not only divide people eternally, it will divide people on earth. Verse 51, he says, do you think, we gotta move fast, so stay with me. Do you think this is right question for him to ask because guess what the Jews thought? That the Messiah was gonna come and bring peace. That was the right messianic expectation. Isaiah Chapter nine, verse six, the most well-known messianic passage. For us, to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, the government shall be on his shoulders, his name shall be called, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of what? Peace, I thought he just said he didn't come to bring peace. Messiana, messianic, messi, messi, Messiah, prince of peace, that's what he was called, and he was gonna bring a promise of peace to the Messiah's kingdom, Isaiah 55, 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, those who are in his kingdom. Ezekiel's prophecy calls this, I will make a covenant of what? P, that's the new covenant. In the New Testament, Zechariah, who is the, the, the father of John the Baptist, said he's gonna lead the way and, uh, and for him, here's gonna come this, uh, this uh, most high of the Lord who's gonna bring forgiveness for sins. And he's, it says this, he's gonna guide our way into the path of what? At the very end, peace. Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Paul said in Ephesians 2, he came and preached what? Peace. And in Colossians 1, it, Paul says, through him he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what? Peace. That's the rightful ex messianic expectation. They should think that. But Jesus is saying, I have not come to affirm that for everybody. A decision is required based upon my message to get ready or to not get ready. The faithful, the unfaithful. I have not come to bring peace in the sense of affirming all y'all. I have come to bring the message to force a decision and therefore there will be division. And those who will receive, guess what they're gonna get? The Messiah's promise of peace. Forever. It will come to you. But what will also come is the eradic eradicating of sin through judgment. You decide. You're going to get ready? You're going to be a servant? The faithful servant who gets ready? Jesus is saying, I've come to bring division. Those who receive it will have peace. It's all a result of how one responds. The way to respond will, will divide eternally. But listen, it will also divide here on earth. Jesus is making clear here. Listen, separation will not only be eternal, but it will be now based upon one's response. Listen to the truth. You got to hear this. It will come right now based upon your response at a micro level and a macro level. Macro level meaning salvation. Micro level even like, are you going to stand on the truth or you just... Do you want to talk about Jesus or you want to come to like the knowledge of what that word actually says? There's going to be division at a micro level and a macro level. 
You gotta be ready for that. Listen, if you're a Christian and you think that that's foreign, that's not right, someone says, listen, you're causing division. You're not causing unity. There's going to be division based upon what the truth says. It's not true Christianity just to affirm and be positive all the time. That's not, it's just not true. Jesus has come to bring division based upon those who would stand in a humble way underneath the truth. This is what it says. Listen, I got to tell you, this is my job. You know what brings division? The truth. You know what I do for a living? Herald the what? So this is my life. This is my life. I'm, I am the causer of division all the time. <laughs> Welcome to my world. Right? He causes division. He's unloving. Too much truth. Not enough love. And there's sometimes in my flesh where I got to loosen up a little bit, Sam. Sometimes in my flesh, I got to say, God, I don't want to be mean. I want to just go around and hug everybody. Well, some of you. <laughs> but listen, and I, but then I go and be by, and then I'm going and I, and I sit by myself with God and actually look at this. And you know what I say? That's just what it says. I can't be unfaithful to this. I can't be unfaithful to this. This is just what it says. I get alone with God and I look at it and I say, this is just what it says. You can be mad about this text right now, but you can tell and you, if you're honest, this is just what it says, right? This is the life of the one who stands on, on the truth. And the question is to you too, will you stand on the truth? Because if you are a heralder of God's word, which everyone in this room is called to be, you will cause division. And most of the time I sit back and I say to myself, I feel like the jerk in the room because everybody's partying it up. And if you say, well, he looks like he's always judging. I'm, I kind of am. I'm saying to myself, does this line up? Should we all be happy about this person and affirm them in their, in their relationship with God? It's out of a heart of love. Or do I say, there's something that doesn't line up to what they're saying and what this says. I, should, I am sorrowful about that. I'm not sure why everyone else in the room is happy about it. And so there should be for you a sober-mindedness, sorrowfulness that's based upon the truth that understands this will cause division if I'm faithful to it. If you evangelize on a regular basis, this will be true of your life, of the most intimate of relationships. That's why he uses these. It's hyperbole, but it's also true. Are you okay? Does the truth take precedence over everything? That's the question. This is what he's saying. It's going to cause division here on earth. He says this. We're going to close. Verse 52, from now on. You know what that means? Beginning now and until I come back. It ain't going to change. If you wonder why they hate you, they hated me before they hated you. If you are any way faithful to the truth, you will cause. The Bible actually says, beware when all men speak well of you. If you got a whole town speaking well of you, beware. Because you know what you're probably doing is compromising the truth. That's what Jesus said. Beware when all men speak well of you. This is going to happen from now on. You got to get used to it. But he says the one who endures to the end will be saved. You got to get used to that if you're going to teach the truth. But you know what that's going to do? It's going to cause some who's God's working in their heart to believe and to be saved. The worst thing you can do is leave people in a gray area where they think they're in and they're out. That's the worst, the most unloving thing you can do for the sake of love, right? Some people say, well, I just want to be, uh, I want to just be understanding of everyone's beliefs. Is their belief true? You can't be understanding of that. You got to ask, is it true? So listen, he says these individuals here, it's hyperbole to say, and, but it's true, because you've seen this done, and I've experienced this too in your own family. But this is to say that there's nothing that can't take anything that takes precedence over the truth. So listen. He says this, Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him. He turned and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life can't be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10, brother will deliver brother over to death. Father is child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 19 says, and everyone who has left house, brother, sister, father, mother, children, or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. Doesn't mean we want to, but you gotta stand for the truth. You gotta be people who stand for the truth. Don't be afraid. Only what, you're, what you do for Christ will last. Listen, at the end of this, how are you gonna respond? It's fitting for Passion Week on Palm Sunday. Are you gonna, how are you gonna respond? With the decision that may cause division, the judgment of Christ, penal substitution, this is what our message is this week. Listen, this is what the message is this week, penal substitution. That's what you're celebrating on Friday. He said, I gotta do that first because I gotta eradicate evil. Are you gonna stand on the right side of the division? The gospel will refine. Are you gonna stand on it? Are, are you gonna receive it? Be the faithful servant. Are you gonna share it faithfully? The Messiah, he's come to bring division. And then for those who believe, resurrection comes and peace to those who receive it. So how are you gonna respond? And then will you also stand and share it? even though it will cause division. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I just pray, God, that you would take this text, bring it deep into our hearts. Not, don't let us let it go. God, uh, there could be nothing more important. I know we're over in time, but there could be nothing more important than this. God, I just pray, as you say, Jesus, that you've come to bring division in light of what you've called the faithful or the unfaithful, to be ready. You've come to bring a division between the two. I pray that we would respond so that in judgment, we would be divided with the righteous. And I pray, God, that as the evidence of that true saving faith here on earth will cause division, don't let us recant. Don't let us go back. Don't let us be afraid. Don't let us feel a false sense of guilt because of the flesh. Let us stand and make it to the end so that we're saved. Let us be on the right side of this. Thank you for telling us the full truth, even though it's hard to hear, so that you don't leave us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.